The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. Kia ora tato, this is Toby Manhai with another episode of your friendly local politics podcast, Gone by Lunchtime. What you're about to hear is part of the Gone by Lunchtime Megapod, a 12-hour epic event recorded on September 20 at Spinoff HQ. Enjoy. Tēnā koutou katoa, I'm Toby Manhai. Good news for me and probably for you too. We're now past the halfway point of this ridiculous megapod. Um, it's just past three o'clock on Wednesday, the 20th of September. And yeah, we're into the, the back six hours, the back half. Um, in the second half of this hour, we've got Ben Mackay calling in on um, Matters Australian and Trans Tasman. But right now in the studio, we've got Brooke Van Velden. Kiara Brooke. Hello, thanks for having me Great here. Great to have you in. I see you've been incredibly disciplined about keeping the magenta wardrobe going across the course of the campaign. I don't think I've seen you not in magenta. There have been a couple of days where even I've had a break from the magenta. Right. Um, But the problem is, every time I've not worn magenta, people then have stopped me and asked, why aren't you wearing your magenta? And I I only mention that, really, or part of the reason I mention that, is that it is a great blessing not to have the Rodney Hyde yellow jacket. Do you remember that? Do you remember the Rodney Hyde yellow jacket? Which is, I mean, that's a good argument of no other to shift from the Mm. yellow to the magenta branding. Oh, I certainly wouldn't be doing this if If it it wasn't a a colour that I actually already liked. Okay. Um, We've been asking everyone, Brooke, who comes on this podcast to answer just three questions um, as part of a wider scientific project. Uh, The first one is your opportunity to win... A box of chocolate fish. If you are the closest person to guess the turnout for up to one decimal point for the election 2023 on October 14. And just to to remind you that it was 82.2 in 2023. Uh, 2011 was the lowest maybe in all time in MP, certainly in recent times on 74.2. So what what do you reckon? I'm going to go with a solid 85. 85. Yeah. You think it's going to be higher? Yeah. You think that oh, this is the act wave, the, the magenta wave? <laughs> 100%. Okay, great. Thank I'm, you. I'm going to say that it's higher because I've never met so many people who are politically engaged than this year. Mm. Everyone is talking about politics everywhere I go. You know, you even cast your mind back to two elections ago. If you started talking about politics on the street or in a shop, you know, people would look at you a little bit sideways and say, oh, no, we don't do that here. But everywhere I go, I hear from people that their friends are openly discussing politics. In a constructive, positive way or in a we're angry way? There is a lot of frustration, but a lot of people are searching for hope. Um, And I think there's a big swing for a change of government. Um, But I also think 
with COVID, people, you know, sat at home and were forced to sit at home and watch the 1pm briefings and became far more politically attuned um, than we've ever seen in history. Um, second question. Uh, a lot of politicians and media are sad junkies for political TV, like um, whether it's uh, West Wing or Veep or whatever. Is there one of those that you have a particular penchant for? If you had to take one political TV show to a desert island, which one would you go for? To be honest, when I get home from work, Mm -hmm. the last thing I feel like doing is watching another political drama. That's good. I feel like I get enough of that in my life. That's good. Um, So I actually watch... I wouldn't call it you know, reality TV, but I watch things like, is it real or is it fake? You know, when they're cutting the cakes and making baking goods into live oh, models. Okay. Um, and then I watch all those like tween dramas because you always know what the ending's going to be and you don't have to think too hard. Right, okay. I'm trying to think of this, is it real or is it not? Some metaphor for something, but I've failed miserably. <laughs> I'll get something by the end. Last question, Mojo. Not the last question of the interview, the last question of this, this question. <laughs> yeah, Mojo has been a big theme of the election. Christopher Luxon can't stop talking about Mojo. He's been looking for it everywhere, under the carpet, <laughs> in the sea, in the cupboard. Yeah. Um, he wants to bring it back. them in Wellington. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Um, the, but you personally, we're doing this, we're, we're, we're doing a survey. How is your own personal Mojo at this moment? Zero being terrible, gone. There's none of it. Ten being absolutely brimming. Ten. Ten. All the I'm, politicians are saying 10. No, I'm really enjoying this campaign. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Every day I get out there and I feel like I want to meet more people. Um, and the vibe is so positive. I really do feel like there's going to be a change of government, but especially because I've been campaigning in Tamaki. Um, and the vibe in Tamaki is for change as well. No matter where I go, I feel like people are really engaging with having choice in that electorate for the first time. I invited Simon O'Connor to come and do a debate, and sadly he was busy all day, which I, you know, I'm sure he was. So I thought I might play Simon O'Connor for a bit, um, for just like an hour or so. <laughs> so no, he's Simon O'Connor sort of talks like this, I think. Is that sort of about right? Is that about right? Or should I? Oh, is that, or do I need to move it? What's what's the nature of the debates you've been having? Just so we can give people a flavour. What's the what are the what are the when when do things get interesting? Not necessarily. Mm. Antagonistic, but interesting. What are the points of difference? Well, to be honest, we haven't actually that, had that many debates oh, really? together. Right. Yeah, a lot of the residents' associations said, you know, we don't want to be political this year or f- for whatever reason. We reached out and said, let's do huh. some panels, and they all said no. Um, the Rotary Clubs down there said no. So there's only really been... Is that because they don't want to be seen to be doing a wedge campaign on the right? Is that what it is? I'm not sure what it is, to be honest, um, but we were at Sacred Heart today and there was a really good debate. Um, but I think on the whole, everything's been pretty collegial. Okay. Um, and certainly I'm not standing against him because, you know, I'm doing it out, out of any personal thing for Simon. Except it um, is kind of personal. I mean, I'm not, saying it's, I'm not saying it's ad hominem, but it is mm. partly because his personal views stand yeah. in stark contrast to... Yours, right? Like it's That's a- right. So I'm sure he is actually a, a nice person. But when it comes to our values, we are very different as people. And so that's why I'm standing against him. And do you want to just sort of lay out what some of those are? I mean, they're on, on, the, on the right, including within the National Caucus, and I imagine to some extent within the ACT Caucus, you have levels of 
liberalism and conservatism, and you can put them on whatever axis you want, but they broadly relate to social versus economic. And you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, socially liberal yep. in a way that uh, Simon O'Connor is very socially conservative. Is that the main difference? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say there's actually quite a few things that we do have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to you know, freedom of speech or the economy and actually thinking that, you know, we have a more productive economy where it's more about business rather than um, government involvement. Uh, but where we seriously differ are on individual choices. Um, so for us, the first time I encountered Simon was when I was writing the end-of-life choice bill for David Seymour. Um, that's something I was very proud to have had a part in because I genuinely believe in choice and dignity and respect at all stages of someone's life, including in those last few days. Um, He was very opposed to that and still is. Uh, When it comes to women's rights, it's a fundamental belief of mine that women should have the right to have an abortion um, if that's something they think is necessary for them. Um, Whereas, you know, his comments about Roe versus Wade was that, you know, today was a good day, and I think that went down pretty poorly um, with the local constituency. And with his own party and his own That's right. leader who instructed him to take it down. That's right. And I've met quite a few women even in the past few weeks who have said, look, if I needed help in the local community, I don't feel like I would feel comfortable going to see him based on his personal values and views, mm. whereas I do feel comfortable walking into your office. And so that's the difference between having a local MP who's accessible and willing to work hard for you, but also shares your values. He's pretty hard-working, isn't he? He is a pretty hard-working local MP, don't you think? Oh, there's varying accounts. Okay. But even when I've been out door-knocking, um, you know, I've been amazed at the number of people who've said, you're the first MP who's ever knocked on my door and listened. Uh, and that's what people are wanting. I mean, one of the interesting things I think about New Zealand's relatively small House of Representatives compared to most um, comparable parliaments around the world, mm. is that we have, by, by the nature of the smallness and quite strong whipping, we don't really have within parties, within caucuses, that wider range of view. And I think one of the things that is good about a person like Simon O'Connor, whatever you think about his views on particular issues, is that he reminds me of what you get in the British Parliament, where you have all of these on the, on, the, on the right, for example, 1912 committee members who are just have a, you know, they kind of spend as much time giving their own leader shit as they do the other side. And there's a healthiness about it. Sometimes it tips over. There's a healthiness about it. And this is a long-winded way uh, to ask you how would you, you would feel if there was a member of the ACT caucus who had views that were anti-abortion. Well, look, I think everybody is entitled to their views. I do. But I think where it differs is just on a level of respect for people that you can acknowledge that there are a range of views and that everybody should feel respected in the community. Um, And what I think I differ is that I believe that the government should allow for people to have choice to have a fulfilling life. Um, And that means that you should have, you know, a range of opportunities to have a certain faith or a religion or you could be a certain gender or sexuality, or you could you know, decide to have an abortion if that's something that you think is really necessary for you, or if you're suffering from a terminal illness, be able to have choice at the end of your life. But where we are very different is you know, there are some people who, who just don't believe that those choices should exist, but then go a step further. Um, 
and make people feel uncomfortable. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Tell me about your political journey. You, were you a Green supporter or member back in the day, if I got that right? <laughs> it's right. I was a Green Party supporter. I was supporter. never a member of the party. It's not that unusual a trajectory, is it? You know, that there, are, you know there are others who, I think Jordan Williams likes to tell people that that was his, his oh. journey as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so tell me, tell me about that and what changed. So for me, I mean, I've always been a social liberal, um, but I've always wanted to leave the world a better place in terms of the environment. And so I've always been an environmentalist, and I still am. Um, I think I am one of Parliament's only vegetarians, which is always a bit shocking to me as well. Mm. Um, But I think the difference for me changed when I studied economics and international trade at university. And I started to understand that, you know, it can be possible that you can care about the environment and you can care about the economy as well. And it doesn't have to be that banning and taxing and regulating your way out of a problem will actually be the solution. There are other ways of solving problems to do with climate change. Hmm. And I'll give you a real recent example. Um, And it was the offshore oil and gas exploration ban. Now, if you're someone who is an environmentalist and you want to leave the world a better place, that might actually sound quite good at face value because you don't like big emitters and polluters. But the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment came out and said, you know, this is likely to increase global emissions. And that's because we still need methanol. And instead of having it produced in New Zealand, the effect of this could be that we just end up importing the same product from another country from where Indonesia. they have yep. coal to burn it, I guess, to, to create it, and you end up increasing global sure. and, 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 and the sort of the, the act climate policy is about let's let the market do it, let's 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 set a price and let's uh, or, or use the ETS rather to, to yeah use to, the to emission it, right? trading scheme. But, and there's a really good difference between act and the Green Party here, which is cons- always can um, made me frustrated, but continues to make me frustrated, and that's we're opposed to scientific discovery and technology and innovation. Um, You know, I've been talking to people who have done angel investment into things called boluses. Um, You know, a bolus is a new piece of scientific discovery where if you put it into a cow's stomach, um, it's like a little pill, it can reduce cow methane emissions by 90%. But but the Greens aren't opposed to technology to to reduce methane emissions, are they? Well, there are a, I mean, James Shaw has sort of led a process that poured like money into that. genetic modification of organisms. So if you look at um, one of the universities in New Zealand started doing uh, ryegrass production, they can't plant that in New Zealand soil. So they've taken it to, you, to the United States. But if you were able to plant ryegrass into New Zealand paddocks, you could reduce methane production by 30%. But the Green Party has always been opposed to genetic modification um, to help solve the climate change problem. And I don't think it's acceptable to actually have a climate change minister that, on one hand, wants to reduce agricultural emissions and thinks 
the best way to do that is to tell farmers how many cows they can own and that they need to cull their herd sizes when you could help the economy and also reduce methane at the same time. So weird, uh, last Sunday, wasn't it, that Act Party launch? You were there. I was there. Oh, yeah. That was strange, wasn't it? I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was a, I mean, I think most people could really do without <clears throat> uh, other people attaching themselves to crowds if they can't find crowds of their own. Mm. But what about what happened afterwards in terms of some of the supporters who I experienced a bit of it, not personally, but I saw a little bit of it against, it was against the TV people really. But there was the, there was the, the cameraman who got in the head by what well, it turns out is an elderly lady, but also that wasn't all of it. There was quite a lot of hollering and uh, quite, um, antagonistic uh, verbals that were dished out. Right. What do you make of that? I mean... Well, look, the the way I see it, because I was actually backstage, so right. I couldn't see anything. Sure, sure, sure. But what happened is, you know, the media did suggest that there'd been, you know, allegations of, you know, this act supporter punching a newsreader, and it turns out was a little elderly lady... Um, they, but they can, on the, elderly ladies are ex-supporters too. <laughs> <laughs> they made it out to be something much different than, you know... Oh, you think it was misrepresented? In, I think it was misrepresented. Oh. But I also think, um, you know, we, we'd, we were asked to do an inquiry um, on what actually occurred. And so the ACT Party has gone away and we've asked for witnesses who have right. provided statements about yeah. what actually happened from yeah. where they were. Um, and we've actually gone to News Hub. Um, and we've written a letter. And so we do believe there was misrepresentation and we're waiting to hear back. Um, I mean, I, I, I overheard, I was standing there when uh, David Seymour was having a conversation with the cameraman who, who characterised it as, you know, he'd fallen in the seat and got pushed in the face. And he, you know, he wasn't, that didn't seem like a histrionic account of, a, of something that had happened. I mean, let's not try and, let's not try and be jury no, on I'd, that I'd here. I'd prefer not to because <coughs> um, there, there has been things I guess on the both thing, sides, but I mean, tell we've you done what, our inquiry and we're, we've now written what we have discovered. Sure. I, the, I, the thing that I, I guess I found um, discomforting was the next day there was an email that went out from David Seymour. He had said, uh, I thought, spoke well at the stand-up afterwards about he goes up and down the country and says the media are doing their job. In that email, which was a shaking the tin, donate to us, he said the media are misrepresenting us. And do you think there is any risk that that sort of rhetoric feeds into this bloody media stuff, which we don't want, that's an overseas thing. You know, obviously people are free to complain about the media. The media are absolutely not above criticism. But there is a danger, I think, from a political pulpit that that could be encouraged. Do you, do you think there's anything in that? Look, I'm, I'm less concerned by that. I think there was actually misrepresentation, and that's why we've written our letter. Um, and I don't want to get too much into the details of what we have discovered and, mm -hmm. and what's actually in there. Um, but I think it's really important that, that both parties are respective, res, you know, respect each other. You know, if media are allowed to access political party stand-ups and access political party... Um, campaign launches, there has to be respect on both sides. Um, what I think was missing there was a little bit of that respect on both sides. And I think in some ways people do feel a you little frustrated. You think the frustrated. media were insufficiently respectful of... Yeah, I'm not going to go into those specific details because that could potentially be for a later date. Okay. But what I think is really important is 
you know, I was talking to people in the public the next day and having heard the news had conjured up an Im- image of some, you know, six foot massive guy who's an act supporter, like really whacking someone one, when in fact it was an elderly lady sitting in a seat and had a cameraman fall on top of them and she decided to, you know, use whatever energy that she had to try and swat him away. I mean, I also saw a a man on the aisle absolutely giving a a, a gobful to Jenna Lynch. Spoken, not, not, not anything physical, to be clear. But that was was pretty unpleasant. I mean, it's not... Well, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think it's necessarily an isolated incident, and I, I wonder whether there's any reflection on that at all. Well, look, as I say, I was actually backstage, so I didn't okay. have any right. ability to see or hear anything. Um, but, you know, I, I think it would have been really good if people had actually talked about what we wanted to discuss yeah. on that day, which is that ACT actually has a vision for the election, um, unfortunately, a protester became the main part of the story. Um, but we actually do want to see a change of government. Mm-hmm. And that means we don't just want to see the red Chris become the blue Chris and then nothing actually change with policy. We actually want to make New Zealand an aspirational, hopeful country with a thriving economy where it doesn't matter if you were here for 15 generations or one. Everybody feels welcome and equal and accepted Um, And I think that's really important. That's a message that a lot of young people are hoping to hear, that there is actually an aspirational future for them in this country. And unfortunately, all of that got missed in the media reporting. On policy, um, what is it that that gets a fire burning in your belly from a policy standpoint in terms of the stuff that you want to change, that you want to be in government, Brooke Van Velden, to change? Well, there's a few things that I would really like to change. The first is our infrastructure investment. I've got a member's bill um, that I put through Parliament this year. Mm. Unfortunately, it was unsuccessful, but we could bring it back. And it says every time a new home goes into a local area, half of the GST cost on construction goes back to the local council that issued the consent so that when more homes go in, we're actually upgrading all the infrastructure networks with it Because I think if you looked at what the effect of the floods earlier this year was, we've had a lot of intensification, but it hasn't actually kept up with infrastructure investment. And so even when you've got your your plans for building sites and there's certain square meterage for having uh, lawns, when people buy the homes, quite often they just pave them over. So we've actually got less permeable surface in our cities than even the plans for the city look like. And that means that we've got to have a lot more investment into the pipe networks under the ground. Um, So what I'm hoping is that, you know, ACT and National manage to get together and support my member's bill and that we can actually keep that going. Because I think councils in some ways make it really hard to build because they're afraid of the costs of putting more homes in the community. And that makes it more unaffordable for someone who's younger and wanting to actually stay in our beautiful cities. That's why so many young Kiwis are going to Australia, because they say, I'm just not sure if I'll ever have a future here. Hmm. And if we can start with some really basics of driving down housing unaffordability by even looking at the networks under the ground, then I think that's a really good place to start. And is that something that you've kind of, 
Is there a ministerial warrant that you see attached to it, to, <laughs> to, to, to something like I that? I see I mean, where you're going. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, Erica, 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 Erica Staffel was in here before and she's like, yeah, I want education. Yeah, I want immigration. I mean, I think it's, it's, I guess it's probably quite nice for those to be real and live questions at the moment, isn't it? Given mm. the way that the polls are pointing. Is there something you've got your eye on? All of the portfolios are up for negotiation. Mm. All of them. Um, and that's essentially what people are voting for. You know, they're voting for different political parties to join together in a coalition yeah. and work tightly together. Um, and so it's not for people before the election to actually say, I'm going to be the minister of XYZ, because that may not actually be how the chips fall on totally, the night. Totally. But you can still yeah. say, I oh, quite fancy that, quite, quite fancy <laughs> a little bit of minister of... Minister of Local government, that's the, that's the really sexy one, Minister of Local <laughs> Government that you're after. But no. The, the thing that I've signed up for in ACT, and which all of my colleagues did, is putting the community and people of New Zealand before ourselves. And it's essentially what David did when he did end-of-life choice, is he turned down being a minister so that he could pass end-of-life choice because he couldn't do both at the same time. And that's the same sort of culture that we've instilled in ACT with us 10 MPs, is that we get up every day thinking, how do we pass policy that will actually make people's lives better? Not to have a great title, because having a title doesn't actually do anything. And having a $100,000 pay rise doesn't necessarily give you an output. It's actually getting the policies across the line. So if we can get the policies across the line, I'd be happy for any of my parliamentary colleagues to be the minister of that. Um, because we didn't join ACT to be Prime Minister or to be a particular minister. Are you going to win Tomaki? I'm certainly going to give it my best shot. I'm not going to take anything for granted, but mm. it does really feel like Close. the mood on the ground is for yeah. change. Okay. Good luck out there. Thank you for coming in. Good luck on October 14. We'll talk again soon. Kia ora. This is the spin-off election megapod. When we return, we'll have on the line Ben Mackay. Not from Australia, but from Wellington. Thanks for listening. There's plenty more where this came from on your Gone By Lunchtime feed. Thanks to Jane, Te Ahe and Samuel and the rest of the team at the spin-off for making the Megapod happen. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Butler here, podcast manager at the spin-off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.